Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangus, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today, we'll look at the official debut for one of China's first homegrown chatbots, a fellow named Ernie. We'll also look at the story of Baozun, an e-commerce company that's trying to reinvent itself as a brand manager by teaming up with some big Western. We'll start with Ernie, which made headlines earlier this year when it became China's first major entrance into the chatbot race sparked by the huge success of OpenAI's ChatGPT. This particular bot was developed by internet search leader Baidu, which is trying to remake itself as an AI specialist. Baidu gave its first glimpse of Ernie earlier this year, but only now has it made the chatbot available to the general public. Many other Chinese tech companies have announced similar chatbots in various stages of development. So uh, neither of us probably knows enough about Ernie to comment specifically on this particular chatbot. But uh, Renee, can you talk more generally on what's the potential for these chatbots in China, especially given the sensitive nature of so many topics under Beijing's strict content control? I don't know anything about Ernie. I haven't used Ernie. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to use it anytime soon. But from what I've you're, read... You're a big user of chat. Yes, and, and that's enough to satisfy my needs. Um, the uh, but uh, based on uh, you know some of uh, the articles that I have read, I had a few thoughts. First of all, um, the Financial Times kind of put it uh, along the lines of um, China had to agree to approve Ernie and its siblings for fear of falling too far behind basically the U.S. or, you know, the global technology world. Mm -hmm. um, fear of falling behind has never struck me as an extremely uh, brilliant and, and uh, potentially ultra-successful strategy mm -hmm. in any kind of business, but whatever. And just think about fear of missing out in terms of investing money and so on. Right. So fear, to me, is never really very good. This being said, if you look at it from the other side, uh, there's reason to fear that these chatbots are never going to be able to achieve, um, you know, tremendous commercial success, at least outside of China, because, uh, particularly because of censorship. And other articles that I have read, written by people who actually tried Ernie and ask questions, uh, various types of questions and so on, um, came out with uh, the observation that uh, the censorship is indeed there, very strong. Uh, sometimes the censorship misses a beat and you get a strange answer to a question about the Communist Party that I'm sure they wouldn't want to be printed in public. Uh, so it, it looks a bit like like what it is, an effort to show the world that China is not falling behind in, you know, uh, new technology. Mm. But on the other side, um, the uh, appetite, need, desire of, uh, you know, for control 
is very present. It's not going to go away. I would believe that over time it will probably going to become stricter. If everything that we read about artificial intelligence that is written in, in the Western world and so on has an ounce of truth to it, then you, you know, at the top of the Communist Party, you really have to wonder what might happen with those chatbots that you cannot even think about today or imagine, which I would think will be another reason uh, to really watch these chatbots very, very closely and make sure that uh, they, don't, they don't go out of control. So uh, how do you push that? around the world uh maybe you know maybe in some countries in the so-called global south uh, where you know there's no shortage of governments who want to control citizens as much as possible but i don't see that ever flying in the western world other possibly then in some research institutes and so on as part of you know research work so you sort of touched on this in, in your comments already. Uh, I was sort of more referring to you know what are the the prospects for the chatbots in China, but it's also mm. no secret that Chinese internet companies are increasingly looking overseas for growth. Um, we've seen names like TikTok, Xi'an, and, and Timu finding some strong success overseas, uh, but these companies have often met with resistance as well due to concerns about their Chinese roots. Uh, do you see any of these AI companies trying to make versions of their chatbots for overseas markets? And do you think anybody might, might want to try them? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that some people will try them if, if they do that. I think that some parts of the world um, probably don't care as much about uh, limited information as opposed to complete information. The fundamental issue that most Chinese company uh, that goes overseas with anything linked to internet data, individual personal data capture and so on is facing is, is the concern of uh, people, the concern of uh, government um, that that data might become uh, available to the Chinese government. Right. Uh, with all the fears that are attached to that. So I don't think this is going to be very different. Um, if anything, a lot of, um, a lot of governments, officials, uh, certainly in the US and in Europe as well these days, uh, have become wary of things like TikTok and so on, got basically, you know, I wouldn't say they got caught flat-footed, but they woke up to the risks after uh, something like TikTok had become uh, adopted in such large numbers in the West that the next time something somewhat similar or with a similar risk profile comes around, I would think that regulators will, um, you know, uh, look at it much more earlier in the cycle and then make whatever decisions they think uh, make sense to make. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a growing awareness and concern, even in the U.S. at the level of Congress uh, and, and government, about the rapid development of AI and what might happen if it 
runs out of control, unchecked, and is not supervised, mm -hmm. somewhat controlled in terms of uh, potential applications and so on. So there's definitely going to be uh, scrutiny for all of that, and I think double level scrutiny for anything that um, that will have a Chinese um, flag attached to it. Right. That's right. Can't you just see asking a Chinese uh, Ernie chatbot, you know, say what's what's the right thing to do in this situation, and they'll say uh, give everything to China. No, I mean that that would be uh, you know that would be um, flagrant enough for people to shrug it off. But uh, you know, I mean, there are so many ways to influence people through uh, crafty use of language and so on hmm. uh, and uh, and there's always in the west a belief that uh, every chinese company uh, will do if asked by the government will do what the government wants them to do so you know you create a supposedly smart generated answer to a question um, what if uh, what if that answer has been guided by an invisible hand, to use the expression, uh, for the purpose of pushing a certain version of something, mm. um, which is which is an issue that is true everywhere, and you know there's great concern in the U.S. about fake news and all of that. But I think that this goes, you know, even one step further. Because it's it's the system itself that is supposed to generate those answers, but we all know how computers work. You put something in it, it comes out on the other side. So it's whatever you put in it, uh, and whoever puts it in it, mm. that will shape whatever comes out on the other side. Mm. And that I think that is going to be true for those chatbots as well. Okay. So yes, I think this will be a hot topic to watch, especially if it's Chinese one. But uh, we'll have to see how they get accepted in China. Anyhow, let's let's move on to our next topic, which is Baozun, uh, uh, which is a company that started out providing software tools for e-commerce merchants on Alibaba's popular online marketplace. The company was trying to move beyond its reliance on Alibaba by chasing merchants outside the Alibaba ecosystem, though it wasn't having much success. Then last year, it raised eyebrows when it purchased U.S. retailer Gap's money-losing China operation. Now it's just unveiled another new partnership with Authentic Brands Group, which is the owner of names like Eddie Bauer and Nautica. This particular partnership will see Baozun license the Hunter brand of outdoorwear for the China and Southeast Asian markets. So we've seen Chinese companies buy up Western brands before, but most of those have been brands on the decline and hardly in their prime. Uh, but granted, some may consider Gap to be far from its heyday. But the names owned by authentic brands still seem relatively healthy. Uh, Baozun has already said it's seen some early success trying to reposition Gap in China as a more upscale brand. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you think Baozun is going to face in, in both of these? Well, I mean, I think that the first uh, challenge they're going to face is, I believe, the same challenge as pretty much every foreign brand that is not at the top of the luxury pyramid uh, are facing these days and have been facing for a number of years. Think about Nike, uh, think about Adidas. 
and some other brands which um, have been challenged increasingly by uh, Chinese domestic brands, um, in part because some of those brands have uh, become extremely good at creating appealing products that are priced attractively, uh, or at least competitively, uh, in part also because of uh, certain political positions or social positions that some of these brands have taken and resulting in them being attacked by conservative voices in China. So I think that this is just going to be more of the same. Now, the flip side of this is that, as you said, Gap has long not been in kind of that category of super visible uh, brand, highly visible brands in China, at least on, on the fashion side. But it, it's a good brand. I mean, I find it, uh, I find what they they said that they want to do here, uh, you know, pretty interesting uh, because very clearly they're going to design some of the products, some of the uh, items going forward in China. Right. So presumably uh, with with a uh, more of a, you know, Chinese twist, if we can call it that way, that uh, that could possibly be more appealing, at least in uh, in the lower tier cities mm. uh, of China. Uh, I think that when you look at the Chinese consumer, you know, over the past 20 years and so on, there was a period where people who had money wanted only global brands. Uh, and it was part of, you know, a differentiating uh, strategy. They looked like they were, you know, more global or more wealthy because they could afford those more, global more brands. worldly. Or worldly, right. Um, that aspect of it, if you exclude brands like Louis Vuitton, Chanel and so on, um, that aspect of it has kind of uh, faded away a bit. So um, I would think I would think that uh, they're going to make it work. I mean, look, Boutzone, uh, as you say, it started uh, on a very clearly defined uh, business track that uh, that became, you know, to some extent saturated in terms of growth. I mean, they had to find other growth avenues through diversification and so on. Uh, management is is sophisticated. They're very smart. They've work long enough uh, with, you know, ever, ever since they were uh, created as a company with foreign brands and so on. Uh, you know, on the other hand, they're obviously Chinese people. So I believe that uh, they're in a very good position to kind of blend the two worlds um, in, um, in line with the evolution of uh, the, the consumer in China. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm, I'm, I would expect that uh, that it will work. I mean, look, it, I don't think it's going to be necessarily very smooth uh, riding uh, from the beginning, but uh, because you know, there's it's a very different type of business to uh, you know go into uh, you know brand management and so on compared to the more technical aspects of uh, the services that they were offering uh, to global brands before, including very sophisticated technology, by the way. Right. So it, it, it's very different, but, you know, I trust management to 
have been able to or be able to attract the right talent with the right experience, expertise and track record to uh, to manage that uh, that type of the business, mm -hmm. uh, which is different from what they did, have done historically. Now, the other aspect of it is that Bowson started a few years ago uh, to expand uh, outside China and into uh, the rest of Asia, especially Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. So they have created, I think, the conditions for, uh, you know, pushing uh, those brands, uh, not just in China, but beyond China as well. So I expect that they will be successful, but, you know, need to give them a bit of time. Okay. Well, as I said, let's, uh, let's revisit the topic in a couple of years. Um, just quick follow-up. I mean, uh, Baozun is hardly the only Chinese tech company whose business has moved into a new slow growth phase lately. Uh, do you think, you know, as more of these Chinese companies, uh, you know, there were hot shots before with you know, high double-digit growth or certainly strong double-digit growth are now entering this new phase? Do you think we'll see more of them make this kind of lateral moves uh, into related spaces, you know, as they try to reignite their growth and you know could this be the start of a new wave of tie-ups with foreign brands well you know i think we will see some because uh, china being china uh, this kind of phenomenon always happens somebody starts something that looks um, interesting uh, potentially successful um, innovative uh, concept id or whatever and there will be a lot of other companies, entrepreneurs, whatever, who will follow suit. We saw that, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, uh, some uh, Chinese companies started to buy, you know, kind of like second tier Italian brands or French brands and so on. Right. And then a bunch of Chinese companies jumped into action and, and started to do the same as well. So I would expect that we will that we will see more. The the more fundamental fundamental issue, though, I think, if you look at uh, all of those companies in you know e-commerce, internet, and so on, uh, from what I understand, there are a number of those entrepreneurs who kind of have lost um, their appetite to attempt to do a lot more going forward because of all the regulatory crackdowns that happened over the last two years. Uh -huh. uh, and it is a fact that uh, a number of Chinese entrepreneurs have left. I mean, you find a lot of them in Singapore today, which obviously the same kind of Southeast uh, Asia strategy, uh, but they, that they basically decided to uh, work on, um, you know, in a different part of the world. Um, so, yeah, we'll see some, but uh, I'm not convinced we're going to see a lot. <laughs> now, if you look at it on the other side, for every Western company that has had a China operation that has not done very well, uh, I'm sure that there has been, there is, and there will be, uh, continue to be, um, interest in uh, offloading uh some of those although they are chinese operations to more you know local domestic um interest companies individuals 
who uh, and and basically get rid of trying to you know run a china business with with a western mind because clearly uh, that doesn't really work very well anymore the mm. okay. world has changed china has changed you know different times the world is moving only on. the top top brands yeah only the top top brands who really have mastered that are going to be able to you know continue to survive on their own i'm i'm always baffled when when i go to you know some of the malls in china to see european names that i've never heard of before uh you know having shops there even on you know the premium levels or whatever uh and uh, can't figure out where they're coming from and why they think they're going to be successful but the, the the flip side of that is that some have been acquired by uh, by domestic interests uh and some are you know uh, inside much bigger brands and not necessarily known uh, as such right. when you look at the louis vuitton for instance i think that today they're up to 80 brands mm. i think most people have no idea uh, who those brands are Seven, before the top four or five right yeah okay all right well let's 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 wrap things up for there uh thanks everybody for listening this week if you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us again next week for another edition of China Inc. when we'll look once more at the latest trending Chinese business topic. Hope to see you all then. Goodbye for now. Thank you all.